Well, that clock shows straight up 11 or just about, so uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Hey, welcome. Thanks for being in this class. I really appreciate you coming, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to you and a source of blessing to you, but thank you so much for blessing me by, by coming. Uh, my name is Rusty Tugman, and I'm the Senior Minister for the Alameda Church of Christ in Norman, Oklahoma. And for the next few minutes, I want to just tell you the story of our church family and what God is doing there. And, um, and again, hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you, but I'm hoping that we'll have some time at the end uh, for some discussion. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, I wish this wasn't being recorded because if not, I would just circle up the chairs and just go, okay, what are you guys doing? What's working? What's not? Because that's really what this is all about. And so hopefully, hopefully we'll have some time at the end where we can uh, share some things. And, uh, and, and if, if I go through this stuff and you have some questions about something, um, I definitely want to be able to uh, try to answer any of those questions that you might have. So again, like I said, I'm going to tell you the story of what God's doing in our church family, but I want to start with another story. And it's a story of a teenage girl who decided that she wanted to surprise one of her friends in her church's youth group who was having a birthday on a Wednesday, so their Wednesday night gathering. She wanted to surprise her friend by throwing a little birthday party for her. And so... Um, her and her dad went to the bakery at their local grocery store to order a birthday cake. And uh, so they told the baker, they said, you know, what we want the cake to say on the top is we just want it to say, Happy Birthday, Lindsay. But we would like for Lindsay to be in big and thick letters. So pretty clear, straightforward instructions, you know, shouldn't be any problem. However, when they showed up to pick up their cake, this is what they found. <laughs> yeah. So if you can't make it out, it says big and thick Lindsay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. What teenage girl is what was gonna want that cake, right? You know. And so what's interesting to me is you think about the instructions that were given were so simple, so clear, so straightforward, and made sense. Why would you put that on a cake? I mean, you know, happy birthday, Lindsay, Lindsay in big and thick letters. How did it get translated into that? You know, I sometimes wonder if Jesus looks at his church and says, how did you end up with this? I mean, I gave you simple, straightforward, <laughs> clear instructions. What have you done? In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to them. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gives a clear mission statement to his church. He tells his church, this is what it's about. This is what I want you to do. Not only that, but Jesus says, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. So not only do we have clear instructions, we have the presence of Christ empowering us mm -hmm. as we go on this mission. Mm -hmm. And yet, too many of our churches come out looking like this. Completely different than what Jesus said. Our intentions are good. I'm sure this baker's intentions were good. But we've completely flubbed up what Jesus gave us to do. That's our story. 
At Alameda, we had completely flubbed up what Jesus told us to do. Now, Alameda is a good church. I've been there 16 years, and, uh, and it was a very good church way before I got there. And, uh, but we're a good church. I mean, man, we are a church of grace and love and mercy, uh, where people enjoy being with each other. Um, there's, there's a good sense of unity there. We have great elders, great staff. I mean, so we have healthy leadership. We're very active in our community. Um, in fact, we are known in our community for being a church that truly loves and serves its community. We are as engaged in our community as any other church is in our city. Not only that, but we're the only church that has a Celebrate Recovery program. And uh, we've actually invited other churches to partner with us on this. And so we've got some of our leaders and things that are from other churches in town because we said, hey, this is for our city. And so with Celebrate Recovery, we're on the front lines of a lot of the issues that are negatively impacting our city. We're, we're mission-minded and have a great tradition of global missions within our church. Um, there's just a lot of great things about Alameda. And we're the kind of church that people point to, both inside and outside our church, and go, oh yeah, you're a good church. The problem is that none of this goodness was translating into lost people being reached. We weren't growing. And so we had all this great activity. We're busy. We're doing stuff. I mean, you know, and again, like I said, we're healthy. I mean, there's no, no issues, you know, or, uh, or at least loud ones, you know. And, uh, but yet, we're not growing. We just kind of stayed the same and even have been in a little bit of slight decline. Well, this was really burdening me uh, for a long, long time. And I couldn't figure it out. I'm going to get to questions in just a minute, okay? So let me just kind of tell the story. What's that? Or size. size. So right now, we're about a 600-member church. Um, so um, anyways, with our, with our story, as we were going along, this was really burdening me. And, um, and I just couldn't figure out, why aren't we growing? I mean, we seem to be doing all the things that if you read about and stuff, you know, you go through the checklist, oh, yeah, we got that, we got that. We got, you know, we think, why isn't this translating into growth? Now, one of the things I like about Alameda is that we, we don't bow down to the idol of numbers, <laughs> but numbers are important, and they do tell a story. And in our case, these numbers were telling us a story we didn't want to hear. And what our numbers were telling us is that our lack of numerical growth was revealing a lack of spiritual growth. We were busy, but we did not have a burden for the lost. And that's what this was revealing to us. So about a year and a half ago, I'm in an elders meeting, and, uh, and I just can't hold this in anymore. And so at the end of the elders meeting, you know, I raised my hand, kind of, hey, you know, one more thing. And I just share my heart. And so I share all of this and a lot more things. And at the end, when I stopped speaking, there was this long silence. <laughs> when you're a minister, you don't like long silences in elders' meetings because you're thinking, okay, this may be my last elders' meeting. <laughs> and I truly did not know what they were going to say, how they were going to react. 
And so there was this big pause. But the silence was broken by one of our elders named Keith, who he never looked up when he spoke. He sat there listening to me, just kind of like this, head down, just listening. And without even raising his head, he spoke four words that has changed everything at our church. He said, that's got to change. And everybody just went, you're right. And what was amazing to me about that statement is that it's easy to identify that something has to change when things are really bad. And when things are really dysfunctional and unhealthy and, and toxic, I mean, it's easy to look at that and go, okay, that ain't right. Something's got to change. <clears throat> but it's a lot more difficult to do that when things are good. When things are rocking along. Everybody seems to be happy. You know, doing good. And so I give our elders tremendous credit for having the insight to say, even though we're a good church, we weren't called to be a good church. We're called to be a great commission church, and we weren't. And so from that point on, we started having some really deep and very uncomfortable conversations. Because we started looking at, why aren't we growing? Not only that, but churches of Christ, I mean, at least in our city, our kind of church, kind of the traditional church you know, model, we seem to be so far out of sync from where the church world is going that one of the questions we asked was, is there even a place for a church like ours anymore? I mean, it was hard. It, it was hard to admit, man, we might not, we might have seen our best days. But as we talked, <coughs> We just became more committed to the vision of Jesus. And so our conversations were so incredibly inspiring. Again, they were very difficult. And we started looking at, why aren't we growing? And we determined, well, theologically, we know God wants His church to grow. I mean, over and over again through Scripture, we see God doing and saying things to say, I want more and more people to come into my family. We know God wants to grow His church. So if we know that as the starting point, well, it's pretty easy to identify, well, the problem must be this. <laughs> that obviously we have put some things in the way of God's will. And so we started looking at what are we doing that's getting in the way of us reaching lost people. So out of those conversations came a redefined purpose statement. All it is is just a retelling of the Great Commission. But we worded things in a very specific way. And so this statement, you know, you call them mission statements, purpose statements. To us, this is an identity statement. Because one of the things that we had to talk about was who are we now? Who are we supposed to be? <laughs> Who do we want to be? And so that's where we came up with this statement. Again, we refer to it more as an identity statement. This is who we are as a church, but this is also who we want to be as a church. Not only that, this is who we're called to be as a church. Our purpose is that we exist for the purpose of making Jesus known 
by living as disciples of Jesus Christ, growing as disciples of Jesus Christ, and making disciples for Christ. Those are all active words that reflect a lifestyle. That the way we're going to make Jesus known is not going to be solely by events and big programs and all of these kinds of things. That the way we're going to make Jesus known is by baptized believers having the courage to talk about their Savior. Of just living and being Christ followers in our offices, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. So that people can see how great it is to be in Christ. And so that's our strategy. Radical, isn't it? I mean, that's what's so funny about this vision. You're going to see this even more. There's nothing revolutionary here. And that's because I think sometimes we outthink ourselves. We outstrategize ourselves. And I'm saying that as a guy that I like strategy. I like organization. I'm a linear thinker. I like all of that stuff. And it's easy for me to outthink myself. But when you really look at how did the church grow in the New Testament times in an environment that was not conducive to growth, how did they grow? By being Jesus followers and talking about Jesus. When you look through history and movements, the church of Jesus Christ has always grown through this. You look at what's happening globally. Underground churches. The church is booming in places where it shouldn't be booming. But it is because people are sold out to Christ and they are living as disciples of Christ. They are continuing to grow as disciples of Christ and they are making disciples for Christ. We weren't doing any of that. And so... Out of that statement came these two, three-word phrases that we talk about all the time and that have just become part of our culture and our conversations. So we <coughs> simplify it to say, make Jesus known. Before, when I was telling our elders that we're not growing, I said, the reason why is because we're not pursuing growth. We're not expecting growth, and we're not talking about growth. And we don't make decisions based on how will this help us reach this person, this person, this person. <clears throat> now that's completely changed. Now this statement is the filter through which we make decisions. Now all of our decisions are made is how will this help us make Jesus known? I mean, we have people, one of the things I love about our environment is it's a very entrepreneurial environment where we want our members to, man, Hey, God's gifted you and all. Go do. You got an idea? All right, let's do it. But what we always say now is, okay, sounds good. How will this help us make Jesus known? If you can answer that question, we're with you. <clears throat> if you can't, no. We're not going to do that. Even though it's a great idea, it doesn't do this. That's been a game changer for us. It's, been, it's become an easy way when I preach and, and when, we're, when we're telling people of why we're doing certain things. It's just been so easy to be able to say, hey, the reason why we're doing this is because this is going to help us make Jesus known to more and more people. And here's how. And so now we're always communicating things in a way that leads people back to this. That this is our core value. This is our core identity. This is our core mission. Make Jesus known. And what I love about this is it's transferable to any context. 
So a lot of times we'll talk to parents. Parents, how are you making Jesus known to your kids at home? You know, we'll talk to our teenagers. Hey, how are you making Jesus known to your schoolmates? You know, hey, in your office, what are you doing? What will you do this week to make Jesus known to your coworkers around you? And so it's just become something that, you know, people go, okay, I know what this means. But then we also talk live, grow, make. Because we want to make Jesus known by living as disciples, growing as disciples, and making disciples. And so at our church, you're going to see this stuff all over the place. Live, grow, make. That's what you need to be doing. Live, grow, make. How are you living? How are you growing? How are you making? So when we put together our five-year vision, we decided that, okay, we need, to, we need to pursue things that help us accomplish that, that help us make Jesus known, but that also equip our members to live, grow, make. And so... We decided as, as our conversations, we didn't go into it planning, hey, you know what would be a good idea and what would be a good growth strategy is we need a five-year vision. It just came organically through conversations where we identified, you know what, what if we were to put together a five-year vision that basically would be our playbook for the next five years that would be designed to change the culture of our church? And I want to tell you a little bit in just a minute about what specifically about our culture needed to change. But so we just started talking. And our vision is we just identify goals that by pursuing them would create a culture of discipleship in our church family. Live, grow, make, for us, that's discipleship language. Sometimes we can, again, outthink ourselves and separate out discipleship and evangelism. It's all one. If you're living as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to be evangelistic. That's part of discipleship. And so when we say discipleship, that's what we're, we're talking about at all. You know, that I'm going to make disciples, yes, I'm a disciple who's going to be a disciple maker, but I'm going to do that by living and growing myself as a disciple. And so we identified some of those, and so I just want to read just some of those to you. I'm not going to read the, you know, the whole list. I mean, some of that included making some strategic hires that would help us make Jesus known. So for example, our youth minister... Uh, been in youth ministry a long time, great youth minister, but he is also a fantastic worship leader. And so he is also leads our, our worship. So one of the things that we said was, okay, you know what? If we're going to pursue lost people and we're in a context where we're an acapella church, and we will be, you know what I mean? You know, um, but we knew, okay, hey, we love it, but we're going to do that well. And Lee does it well. So one of the strategic hires for us was we hired a second youth minister that would allow him, he's still over our youth ministry, but it would allow him to have more time to put into our worship ministry. And man, it has been incredible. Not only do we hire a second youth minister, but that youth minister is a female because we weren't connecting and ministering to our female students the way that we can and should that's been a game changer for us. So strategic hires. I told you about our Celebrate Recovery ministry. It's incredible what's happening in that ministry. And the person who's leading that is a person that I actually had the privilege of baptizing into Christ. And uh, he's an alcoholic, recovering alcoholic, and uh, he is fantastic at leading this ministry. I just provide support. Um, he knows that world. I don't. And he's incredible. Well, we have seen so much fruit from that that we're like, uh, you know what? We should like do what God is blessing. 
and God is blessing this. So we've hired him on a part-time basis and we're working towards making him full-time. And I mean, we've already had, I think 11 baptisms um, come from that Celebrate Recovery ministry. So strategic hiring. Um, one of the things that we're doing is um, shepherding conversations. Strategic shepherding. And so in a five-year span, we have a goal. Our shepherds have a goal, and we, we have a form and all of these kinds of things that we've come up with this. But we have a goal where our shepherds were, are going to sit down with every family member unit, whether that's a family or a single person, with every member unit, and just have a shepherding conversation and just talk to them about their walk with Christ. How are you doing? Tell me about your relationship with Christ. How are things going in your family? Um, how are you living as a disciple of Christ? How are you growing? Tell me how you're making disciples for Christ. So that our elders are holding our members accountable, but they're doing it through a relational context to improve the connection that our shepherds have with our members. And so our goal is to actually do two of those within this five-year span. So do the first one, but then do a follow-up so that we can come back and say, hey, the last time we talked, you mentioned you were struggling about this. How's that going? And so just being more strategic with our shepherding. Um, we've also just, you know, we want to do in the next five years, 25 regional and short-term mission trips and 25 church-wide community service projects. That's just five a year. Um, so just very simple. But it's just a way to get our members engaged in mission. Um, because our, our thought is that, and as you know, that you know, if you're serving someone and you're, you're selflessly giving to someone, you will grow through that experience. And so we've, we're budgeting for that, where we're helping members go on these trips. And if you have a trip, if you want to go, we'll help you get there. And uh, because we want our people, you know, doing that and, and growing and having, you know, through those kinds of experiences. Um, uh, another thing that we're doing is, uh, is we've got to do some intentional outreach to young pros, young families, young marrieds. Norman's a college town. University of Oklahoma is there. I mean, thousands upon thousands of, you know, of young pros. And, like, we're good um, all the way through college. And then when you start having kids, then we're good there. In that meantime, we're terrible. I mean, we're just terrible. There's no other way to put it. And uh, so we've got to correct that because it's this huge mission field that we're not even having any inroads into. Honestly, I don't know what that looks like yet. Uh, my wife and I are hosting a meeting um, in about two weeks uh, from now where we've invited the ones that we have to just come over and we're just going to say, talk to us. <laughs> Tell us, what, what, what do we do? Because um, we don't know. But we know we need to. Um, also, another thing that we put on there is we want to plant a church or help to revive a dying church. Where we're at in Oklahoma, right around us are a lot of small towns, a lot of small churches. And so, again, we're not sure exactly when we put that down, we weren't sure exactly what that looked like. But we thought if we're going to be reaching lost people, we need to be thinking church planting or help partner with a dying church um, that is in a place where, man, if they could just be revitalized, could really make an impact. And so, again, some of these goals were things that we should have already been doing, and we weren't uh, because we lost our focus. Some of these things were things that we don't have figured out yet, 
But we know we want to do this, and we want to challenge ourselves to be thinking and preparing for this. And so we created a plan and a timeline for achieving those goals. But the most important uh, goals are, are D-School and D-Groups. And so uh, what we're talking about here, and I put our website where you can go and, and find out more information about this, but uh, D-Groups are Discovery Bible Study Groups. And um, I think uh, I didn't bring anything with me. I should have. But basically, it's, it's with a, we tell our people with a bookmark and a Bible, you can lead anybody to Christ. So on this bookmark, Discovery Bible Study, I mean, it's just a, it's just a plan. And so what Discovery Bible Study is, it's just a group of three or four people that meet once a week for about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, just to read Scripture together. And, and so, uh, you know, we, we have themed plans, but you can do any book of the Bible. But the Discovery Bible Study process revolves around eight questions, four that deal with the text, and four that are relational in nature. So, for example, like with the text, you read the Scripture and you're going to ask, hey, what do we learn about God or Jesus from this text? What do we learn about people, ourselves, from this? Um, what's, what's one application that, from this text that you can make in your life and who do you know who needs to hear this story? That's it. You'd be amazed at what can happen with just four simple questions. But again, it's done in a relational context. And so what I love about Discovery Bible Study is you're letting the Word of God do the work. It's not, you're not putting yourself in the, place of a, you're in, the, in the position of a teacher. You're just a reader, a facilitator. You don't have to have all the answers, and you're letting the Word work. Now, here's what's interesting. We struggle with that because we think, no, there's got to be something more to that. And that's part of our problem. Because we don't trust the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. So do we trust it enough to unleash it? Do we trust it enough to just say, hey, would you be interested in reading Scripture with me? And what we're finding is that while there might be some people who might resist the invitation to a Bible study, we're finding that people are open to just reading Scripture because they are curious. And, uh, and that's all we're doing. And so we'll say, hey, just a couple of friends of mine, we, we get together once a week and just read through Scripture. Would you be interested in that? And so... It, it's a little bit easier ask. And so what we're doing, though, also is we do D-School, Discipleship School, which is a four-week training course um, that we offer every month. And the reason we do it is that way is so that we're always pointing people to it. You know, hey, have you been to D-School? Hey, if you missed out this month, we got it you know, starting this next month. And in that, we have a discipleship handbook, and, uh, but where we walk people through, what does it mean to be a disciple-maker? And one thing we tell them is this is a lifestyle. This isn't a project. That this is something that you should continuously do. It's a lifestyle. And we, and we train them in how to lead a discovery Bible study. Because um, we, can't, we can't tell people, hey, here's what we want you to do, and then not help them do it. <laughs> and so we're equipping people and then giving them a simple resource that anybody, anybody can use. And so uh, I can talk more about that a little bit later. So that's kind of what our five-year vision is comprised of. It's just 
basic things. Like I said, there's nothing revolutionary here. But what it's about is the intent, the focus. Along with this has come alignment. And I'll show you that here in just a minute. But where we're aligning all of our ministries towards this goal. And so that's, that's what we've been, been working on and doing. So here's the fruit of this. So we're, we're a year into it. But uh, we launched that vision last April, and we ended 2018 with the highest average worship attendance that we've had in six years. It increased by 7%. Now, I probably misled you uh, with the title of this class when I used that word extraordinary. (laughs) But for us, this was. It just was. I mean, because like I said, we haven't seen growth like that for six years. So for us, we're like, yes, all right. But more than that, it was affirmation. We're pursuing the right thing. Mm-hmm. We're on the right track. Mm-hmm. And God's, God's blessing us. He, he's, given, he's, letting, he's allowing us, even in a short time frame, He's allowing us to see fruit to motivate us and to keep us going. But what we're also seeing is we've increased our reliance on the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we had to confess is that we're trying to do it ourselves. And so part of what, uh, part of what we've done is we just totally laid it at the feet of God and said, God, we've gone as far as we can go. This is it. I'm not a good enough preacher to have thousands of people and all that stuff, you know. I mean, this is the best we can do. We've gone as far as we can go. God, if you're going to grow this church, it's you. Would you take it? And so we've increased our reliance on the Holy Spirit. We sharpened our focus on the Great Commission where we made it and put it in its rightful place where it's the main thing. This is what we do. Yeah, we do all this stuff. This, though, is what we do. But everything else that we do points to this and serves this. That has changed everything for us. We are systematically and intentionally training our members on how to be disciple makers for Jesus. This isn't just talk. This isn't just a sermon series. We are systematically and intentionally training people how to be disciple makers. And, and, and kind of our, you know, one of the things we talk about in D school is we say, hey, here's what we're doing. We're trying to raise up an army of disciple makers for Jesus. That's who we want our church to be. And, and that's the culture shift that we're trying to create. We have equipped members with an easy-to-use resource for sharing Scripture with their friends. Because a lot of times, this right here, it's just too big of a step for people. It's like, okay, I want to, but boy, I don't know how, and I am scared to death. So we gave them something that was so easy to use. Now here's the reality is, Discovery Bible Study is not the only way to do this. I mean, there are so many great things. Um... But there is no program, there is nothing that can take away that initial fear and awkwardness of approaching somebody and inviting somebody. That's why you have to increase your reliance on the Holy Spirit. But we've made it as easy as it can be. So that was really important, and that's the fruit that we're seeing. Not only that, I mean, there's so many more things that I could mention, and part of that is what's happened within our leadership team. All of this vision, this was truly put together, together, as a team. This was not me coming in and saying, hey, I did a little work this weekend, here we go. 
This was through conversation. It was, hey, what do you think? Hey, you know what I think might be a good idea? Oh, that's interesting. It truly was a team effort. And, and what's happened with our elders and ministers and our relationship as a result of this is just incredible. And it also showed us again what, something that we already knew, which is that if you want to be a church that is reaching the lost, your leadership team has to be completely in sync and on board with it. And we are. And so that has been part of the fruit you know, of that. So let me kind of talk a little bit about what we're learning. Um, I'll try to go through this quickly so that we can have some time for some Q&A or just for comments and what you're doing. Um, so here's what we're learning about revitalization, and that's really what it is. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're going to be celebrating our 40th anniversary. Um, so this is a well-established church, you know. So this isn't a church plant we're talking about or anything. Like I said, I've been there 16 years. We're talking about revitalization. How do you revitalize a church that's, again, a good church, but we're stagnant? And so that's what this is really about. And so here's what we're learning. One is to be humble enough to admit reality. That's where this all started, was through a humble admission of the reality of our situation. We're not growing. We're not reaching the lost. We're not focused on the Great Commission. We don't even talk about it. That's where it started. And you've probably heard some numbers that have been floating around this week that... Um, I was able to be part of a conversation um, about a month ago uh, regarding this. But according to, to uh, data that Hope Network has put together, in 2015, 16, 17, Churches of Christ in the United States lost 2,000 members per month and closed nine congregations per month. If those trends continue, which they are continuing, we will have declined 45% by the year 2050. And because of our older demographic, and we're not replacing that with newer people, because of our older demographic, half, listen to this, half of Church of Christ membership in the United States will be dead in 30 years. That's the reality of our situation. And it's hard to hear. Like you, I love our fellowship, and I am committed to our fellowship. I think there's great things about our fellowship that we have to offer the broader kingdom and the broader world. But the reality is we are in a dying fellowship. And we've got to be humble enough to admit that. That this is the situation. So often, we've been too stubborn, too prideful, too arrogant to admit what we've all been seeing for a long, long time. Well now, it's getting put right in our face. And that's what Hope Network is, is really trying to do through some of their efforts is, is not to shame us or guilt us, but to say, church, look, this is what's happening. Ringing the warning bells. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to be courageous enough to admit when change is needed. That was the thing for us. Again, we're a good church, but we realize we can't keep doing things the way that we've always done them because we're not growing. So, so change is needed. It's not our programs, methods, or furniture, and I'll explain that in a minute, that are sacred. It's the gospel and the church's mission. These do not change. But our methods 
should change. I mean, just look at Paul's methods. Paul adapted his method to where he was and to his audience. <coughs> we see that with all of the evangelists throughout the New Testament. They never changed the gospel. They never changed the church's mission. But they found ways to communicate that that were relevant to the people they were trying to reach. And so we've got to be humble enough to admit reality. We've got to be courageous enough to admit when change is needed. We also need to choose our audience. And we need to be choosing our audience wisely. Author and preacher Kerry Newhoff says, leaders need to keep their focus on who they want to reach, not just on who they want to keep. What should leaders fear? We should fear never reaching the people we're trying to reach. I can tell you firsthand, leaders live in fear of their members leaving. And leaders lose sleep over the possibility that someone might leave. And that should bother us. The problem is, we don't really think too much about what if we never reach our neighbors across the street? What if we never reach this community where God has planted us? Why aren't we living in fear of that? So we've got to choose our audience. And when you start making the kinds of changes that we have made, you will be put in a position where you have to choose your audience. We've had some really good people leave because they just could not stomach the fact that we replace pews with chairs. They're good people. And they went to a good church of Christ. And, and they're where they need to be. They couldn't see what we were trying to do. And so we hated to see them leave. But we had to choose our audience. And we had to say, we know you're going to be fine. But we got to keep our eye on these people that aren't fine because they don't know Jesus. you got to think like a missionary. The reality is we are. <laughs> I mean, that's part of the call of being a Christian, right? I mean, you're a missionary. In your context, you are a missionary, but we don't think like missionaries. So that's one of the things we had to do, is if we were planning a church, if we were missionaries coming to this city, what would we do as we know our city and study our city? What would we do to reach our city? And so we had to start thinking like that. And what's interesting is when we started thinking like missionaries, we saw an interesting mission field that we completely overlooked, our own members. The reason why we were a good church and were satisfied with that was because we had become comfortable with that. We were fine being a good church. And everybody slipped into their comfortable routines. And so our comfort was actually killing us. <coughs> Missiologist Dean and Sarah writes, cultural Christianity is the most underrated mission field in America. Cultural Christianity is defined as, as people who identify, cultural Christians are people who identify as being a Christian because of their heritage, their family background, uh, maybe just the, the, the part of the country that they live in. I'm in a place like that. Um, but there's no sense of obedience or submission to Jesus. That described a lot of our own members. 
They were there, but they weren't living it out. They weren't. We had settled for cultural Christianity instead of committed Christianity. And so the words of one of our elders is, we've got to do some things to shake some people up. And boy, we, did we do that. <laughs> one of those steps was we went to two worship services. Because again, we were thinking like a missionary. We live in a, in a city that um, likes options. They just do. I mean, any restaurant you can think about, we probably have it. Because people love options and in and, and, and everything. But we also live in a sports-crazed town. And so, on Sunday mornings, it is packed with soccer games, t-ball games, all of that. So that is no longer sacred. And um, so what was happening was, we would have a lot of our own members who, they would be at the soccer game, and they would be at the t-ball game, because they're not going to sacrifice that, but they would sacrifice church. And so, a lot of our folks, well, they must have had a soccer game today. Well, so, as we started looking at our community, and again, thinking like missionaries, we said, okay, how would we approach that? We said, well, you know what? What if we went to two services where we gave people options? So what's been amazing is as soon as we went to two services, and by the way, here in just a minute you'll see this, we went to two services in a gym because we were re remodeling our auditorium. And so we had to go to two services because we didn't have the space. Even in a packed gym, we immediately started growing. And everybody I talked to beforehand who was at two services, that's what they told me. They said, hey, when you go to two services, you will, you will grow. I said, how? They said, I don't know, but it happens. And it did. And what we're seeing now is we have people regularly come into church in their soccer uniforms and in their baseball uniforms. And sometimes they come to first service because they've got a later game. And sometimes they had an early game, and so they come to second service. Now, I know. I'm as disgusted by that as you are. Um, but that's the reality. Church wasn't winning that fight. Now we've got a chance. <laughs> All right? So two serve, we went to two services. But here's another thing. So remember on our vision, I said one of the things we wanted to do was either plant a church or help revive a dying church. So here's a great example of thinking like missionaries. South Walker Church of Christ in Oklahoma City. Been there for a long, long time. When they, were first, when they uh, first built the building and everything, it was, it was, I mean, the neighborhood and everything, it was Anglo, it was white. Now it is completely shifted and it is 80% Hispanic. And so this church is dying out. Now they have a great heart for their community. And so they've been trying to do all kinds of things to serve their community, to reach their community, but they're not coming into an Anglo church. They're just not. So you know what this church is doing? They're reimagining themselves as if they were a mission church on a mission field. So now, they are bringing in missionaries. They're working with Great Cities Missions. They are bringing in missionaries, and they're bringing in second-generation Latinos who speak English. And so it'll be English services, but it will be Latino people up on the stage leading. And what all the research is saying is, they'll come to that. And so we're partnering with this church to support one of those missionaries that they're bringing. 
How impressive is that? Yeah. I mean, here's a church that, I mean, it's older, and yet they still have such a heart for the mission that they're saying, we need to change to reach our neighbors. And so they're completely flipping their church. It's, a, it's amazing. That's thinking like a missionary. And man, we're so proud to be part of it. Identify the barriers to growth and remove the lid. So our thing was we were always kind of bumping up to this 600 barrier, and then we kind of get there, and then we go back down, get there, go back down. And so when we're looking at, well, why is that? Well, one of the things that we, that, we, uh, that we determined was, and I'm kind of going in reverse order here, was that our facility was actually working against us. Our parking lot was full, and even though we had a large auditorium with a bunch of pews in there, you could see a lot of people, the way our floor, our, our building was built in the late 70s, early 80s, so we kind of got that, of that era, the dip. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So the, 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 the floor goes from back to front. It, I mean, it has a significant slope, but then it like comes back up as it's going to the stage. So we had this section of pews that were so uncomfortable. Like, if you were any taller than me, your knees were going to be up in your chest. Nobody would sit there because it was so uncomfortable. So we just had all of these dead spaces because of how everything was arranged. Even on our big days of Easter, people would be packed in the back and they would still not sit there. I mean, because it was, and so it was like our facility was working against us. So we've completely changed that. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. Another thing, though, was our barriers were expectations. You, the reality is you get what you train, resource, and reward. We weren't placing any expectations about reaching the lost. Now we are. A lack of engagement with God's Word. You know what happens with, com with, with comfortable Christians? They read all the latest Christian bestsellers, which a lot of that has garbage theology in it, by the way. They read a lot of these books, and they, get, they create these little book clubs. And, and they read the, the, the latest book. And they talk about it. And man, they feel so good about themselves. And they never actually interact with the Word of God. That was one of our problems. That was one of the reasons why we had grown comfortable. is because people weren't reading their Bibles on their own time. People weren't, weren't having family devotionals in their homes to read Scripture to their kids. They weren't doing it. Every week, our children, we give resources to parents every single week to say, hey, here's what, here's what we study. Now, here's a devotional guide for you to do with your kids this week. Nobody does it. We're not engaging with God's Word. Discovery Bible study. See where this is coming? Discovery Bible study. We're getting people in the Word of God because our belief is that if we had actually engaged with the Word of God, the Word of God would transform our hearts. So like I said, we, we had to change our facility. This is what our auditorium used to look like. This is what it looks like now. Mm -hmm. Completely different. But let me tell you why we did this. We did this, one, because we were going to two services, thinking missionally, so we wanted to create a space that would be more conducive to that. That is not conducive to two services. Mm -hmm. You could have a pretty good, you could have like 250 people, which for a first service would be pretty good, maybe have about that, and you would feel like you were swallowed up in that room. Now, we, we have about 250 at first service, 
and it still feels good. By the way, we got all these other chairs that we can add stuff. We created, we created big areas where people could talk and fellowship. Here, to get from one side to the other, you had to go all the way up front and around, or in the, around the back. The joke at Alameda was, so, do you attend the east side or the west side <laughs> congregation? Because no, if you sat on east side, you, didn't, you never saw anybody. You didn't see those other people. You didn't interact. We would have members, I loved these members, we would have members that they would like go for, I think it was like kind of every month or every other month, and they would switch just so they could get to know people. <laughs> now, I love how they're thinking, but I mean, so you see how our facility was working against us in so many different ways. But also, remember what I said? One of the things we have to do for our contact, <laughs> we've got to be able to reach young pros, young marriage, young families. Which environment do you think they would be more drawn to? That was what we had to think about. And like I said, this upset some people because they liked the pew. By the way, these are particle board pews. They're not even real wood. Anyway, it's terrible. And, and, so, and so, but we would explain, here's why we're doing it. It didn't matter. And I get that. I get that. But I also think if your faith is tied to furniture, you got a bigger problem than us taking away a pew. And so, again, this is thinking intentionally, missionally. Now, can I tell you a real quick story about this is I actually proposed, hey, I think we could still use the pews and just rearrange them because I knew this was going to be a big deal. And all the elders were like, no, we're not doing that. We're going to chairs. And here's why. And da, da, da. Okay, great. You know, and, uh, and then... Um, I thought we were going to have to do a three-year capital stewardship campaign to be able to do this project. We're, our guys are a really good stewards, so we're financially healthy. So we actually had a contingency fund where our elders said, no, we've been saving up money and we've been waiting for something like this. We're doing this now. My jaw just went, Pfft. I said, what? We're doing it now? This happened on a time frame that I was not prepared for. But you know what was exciting? That's when I knew. Because it had shifted. This wasn't me and my vision. This was the elders. At first, I was kind of dragging the elders. Now they were dragging me. And I loved it. Every minute of it. So it's been amazing. So you got to create a discipleship pathway. Um, so let me, let me show you what we've done. And, and so those are the two big changes. Like I said, we've done some other changes. But one of the things that we did was, okay, how do we use our existing ministries? Again, we have good ministries, good things. But how do we repurpose them to get them all aligned to this vision of making Jesus known? So uh, kind of what we're working on, you know what? I am such the Boy Scout, I actually brought my own marker. Yeah. So, all right. So, what we're working on is we're looking at our environments. Um, let's see here. Ministries, uh, groups, D groups. Um, and then, uh, sorry. <coughs> 
officer have written this out beforehand. So, um, but this will this will all kind of make sense. If you're on the recording and listening to this, hang with me, all right? So. Um, So, be convicted, all right, sorry for my writing here, a disciple maker, and I don't know if you're able to see all of this because of uh, this, this podium here, but, um, but let me just kind of talk through this. So, um, so again, how do we take what we're already doing, but align it to this mission? So kind of what we're doing and what we're, what we're trying to do is, is, is we're trying to help people see these ministries as discipleship venues. And so here's what's exciting, is that this actually creates a discipleship pathway. So corporate so here's what, we're say, what we say to our to members, people who place membership, is hey, we want you to be involved in corporate worship because you need to be a worshiper. We want you to be involved in our Bible classes because you need to be a learner. We want you to be involved in our ministries because you need to be a servant. We want you to be involved in our groups because you need to be connected to the church family. And we want you to be in D groups because you need to be a disciple maker. So these things are all characteristics of a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? When you read through Scripture, you see each and every one of those. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, disciples are worshipers. They're learners. They're servants. And they're, they're connected to the church family and, 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 and prize that relationship. And they're also disciple makers. And so what we've been able to do is take things that we've already been doing, but redo it in a way. And by the way, there's a whole thing that goes with this. That, but just to show that, hey, here's a pathway. So with our Celebrate Recovery, and by the way, our Bible classes, we have, those, we have, we have four types of Bible classes. So we have Discover. So Hey, if you don't know anything about Jesus, we've got a class where you just talk. We just talk. It, it's actually called Just Jesus Stories. <laughs> We're just talking about Jesus. Wow. And so, uh, discover, um, dive. And so, we have a class called the Journey that that is a year curriculum that just takes you through the basics of Christianity. So, when you're ready to dive deeper into into Jesus' teachings, we got a space for you. Deepen. These are our regular Bible classes, so that are geared towards deepening your knowledge of God's Word. Why? Because disciples are learners. We're growing as disciples of Jesus, um, and then uh, and then we have uh, and then disciple. Um, so being a disciple maker. Now, here's what happens: is a lot of times we go through, we go through. Okay, I've discovered, I've I, I dove deeper into Jesus. I'm deepening my my deal, but we leave off that discipleship piece. And you know what happens when we do that? We stunt spiritual growth. Because particularly if you're a veteran Christian, you've grown to a point where for you to keep growing is not going to be sitting in class listening to Romans for the 15th time. That's awesome. Okay, I'm not saying that's awesome. But that's not how you're going to grow at that point in your walk with Christ. The way that you're going to grow if you're a veteran Christian is to come back around and help somebody else learn Jesus. You're familiar at all with any 12-step program. That's the last step. Every addict knows that in order to stay in recovery, I've got to help somebody else on their recovery journey too. That's how I stay sober. How about disciples? And so that's why we that's why we do this, why we have this stuff broken down. So again, 
Again, this is nothing revolutionary. This is stuff we've already been, we've been doing this for years, this stuff we've been doing. But, but the way we were doing them, they were just kind of their own separate things. Yeah, yeah, the Bible class is over there. I don't know what they're doing there. But then we have this over here. I really don't know what they're doing. And then now we're bringing it all together. And we're creating a pathway where now we are ready, where we can take people wherever they're at. Wherever they're at in their life, wherever they're at in their knowledge of, of the Word or anyway, we've got a place. No matter where you're at, we have an environment that we can plug you into where you are welcome as you are. You're not going to feel stupid. And we're going to work with you there, and then we can help progress you to the next step. And that's what this does. It gives people these next steps. So, um, create a discipleship pathway. Expect resistance. Oh, expect resistance and practice what John Cotter calls urgent patience. What I love about this is basically he's, what he means by that is take the long view. That's why this is a five-year vision. We can't evaluate it yet. Man, we're seeing some good things, but we can't really evaluate it yet because this is, a long, this is a, 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 a long game plan here. All right, you got to take the long view, but don't lose your sense of urgency. All right, so um, uh, I, can, I can maybe circle around back to that here in just a minute. Um, but I want to say this real quick, and then I want to I want to discuss here a little bit. Um, but here's something else that we we're learning: we need each other. We are dying. And my guess is you're in this class because of that title. Because maybe you're facing something similar. And let me tell you something that's been great is we had help. Particularly from the North Boulevard Church of Christ in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Who's been on this journey. And I mean, they helped us. They said, hey, anything we have, you take it and you use it. And I mean, they've been accessible. I call, Hey, now how did you do this? You know, and I mean, they, they have been helpful. And, um, and I hope this class is what we're trying to help us. But I mean, uh, Matt Dabbs, who actually taught in this class uh, before here, he's doing some great work about discipleship on wineskins.org. I mean, there's all kinds of other churches, places. But this is not the time for us to be so autonomous that we're separate and separated from one another. We need, we need each other. We need to be able to help each other because we're all facing the same challenges. Um, and... We've got ideas that, hey, what, you know, maybe I can help you, but you can help me. And also, we should encourage one another, help one another, be champions for one another. Mm -hmm. um, and this is my email address. If, if I can help you and if you have other questions or whatever, I, am, I would love to. Because like I said, we, we got help. <laughs> we had help. Um, one of the things I'm also doing is, um, is I've got some preacher friends of mine that they're kind of on the same type of journey. And so... We're either calling or meeting uh, regularly just to encourage one another because this is hard work. And, and we need to be able to support one another. So I'm going to stop there with this little slide. Well, I'll leave that because my email address. So, yes, you had a question. So, um, so this is your five-year plan. How long of discussions, how long were you in the process of mulling over and wrestling with these things before you came up to this point? Yeah, so there's two, two answers to that. One is that what's been interesting is as we started having the discussions, we started looking back and we were going, wow, 
God has been preparing us all along for this because a lot of the stuff that we had already kind of been talking about and things were related to this. We just didn't know it. When this happened, though, it was fast. Um, and that's not always the case. I mean, but it just, I mean, we, I mean, that's why we, you know, when we talk about relying on the Holy Spirit, we just feel like, we feel, we, we truly feel this is from God because we started discussing, but within just a few months, we had put this together and, uh, and we were starting to move on it. That is not the way that I would draw it up. Um, but it's it just that's the way it happened, and and part of that too is like I said, we were a healthy church, so we had great relationships already with our elders and staff, and we had already been talking through these things. Some places are starting where sometimes you gotta kind of start with that relationship and get that right before this kind of thing can even be introduced. We were already there, so that's why it went a little quicker. And then with that, is this stuff you just talked in elders meetings, or when you decided we need to fix this, we need to fix it now? Did all the time and the resources get poured into trying to get this through, or did you just do it on regular timeline like you yeah. always did? So our conversations were just with our elders and our staff, mm -hmm. um, but then as we started communicating the vision, then we did we met in groups with members to further explain um, the vision. Again. What's, what, we weren't st necessarily starting from scratch because some of these things were things that came from the congregation that we just hadn't done. And so some of it was kind of picking up some stuff that the congregation had already told us they want to do. We just hadn't done it. And so, uh, so, so there, there was kind of that type of conversation, but initially it was just elders and ministers. And I want to say something about that because... Um, there was some discussion about that. <laughs> Should we do a process of getting input? And where our guys, where our guy, our guys are are very humble. They are not arrogant guys at all. But what they determined was, God had placed them as the shepherds of this church. God had placed this burden specifically on their hearts, and they felt like we are going to lead this church. And so, um, that was a pretty bold choice in and of themselves. But because of who they are, the church never received that as, what? Wait a second, it's you're going to leave us out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, because they completely trust them. And so, again, because we were a healthy church. And so, that was part of that. That's a great question. Though. Somebody, yes? Um, did you all create your own plans? And, and then... Like, who, who leads all this stuff? Did you, are these hired people to do this, like, monthly Bible study? Yeah, so, so Discovery Bible Study is something that's been around a long, long time. Um, and so that is not anything that we created. Okay. Um, and, um, and so I think I put up our, our website that you can go there and you can see kind of the resources and all. But, again, that's been around a while, and so we did not come up with that. Um, I mentioned we use a discipleship handbook in our D school. Um, we actually got that from North Boulevard uh, in Murfreesboro. Um, they sent us that. And so I, I actually was at a, at a cabin in New Mexico, and I'm looking through it with the intention of, okay, I'm going to look through this to get ideas, and I'm going to write our own. And I'm looking through this, and I'm like, this is incredible. Why would I change it? So I called, and I said, hey, this is fantastic. Could I have permission to use this? And they said, hey, take it. And 
use whatever you want, make it your own. I mean, so we, I mean, they let us use their stuff. Uh, I mean, we came up with this. I mean, other things, you know, we came up with, but no, we, hey, we're not opposed to stealing ideas. And they, I mean, I'm just joking, but I mean, we, we really did have other people, and, 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 and I just, just people that I knew who were doing some things, I would just call them, hey, what are you doing? Man, and, and I mean, everybody I've talked to was like, hey, if, if this can help you, you take it and use it. So some of it came from other places that we just modified to fit our culture. Some of it came from us. And, and usually that's led by the staff that, that, that comes up with that stuff. Yeah, Yeah, a great resource is discipleship.org, which you're probably familiar yes, with. Yes, it is. And in November, you, uh, every year they host, uh, I think outside of Nashville, the National Disciple Making Conference. It's coming up in November this year. Yes. Yeah, I would really recommend that. Yeah, that's, no, that's a great resource. And, and North Boulevard, they also do a yearly conference called New Day, um, and it's in September. I, I don't know all the dates of that, but if you go to North Boulevard Church of Christ, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, you'll find that. They have a free book. Um, yes, it actually, I actually have that. Okay, yeah. yeah, a lot of, uh, we read it, but it didn't go anywhere. That's another thing. <laughs> um, I, my question is, and this is pretty specific, I guess, but so how do you... Any advice as to how to convince elders to choose the right audience? Because yeah. where we are, we have a few elders that they just want to keep the members happy. Yeah. And that we cannot change and we won't change. If yeah, that's where yeah I, I do want to address that. Hey, let me say, we, we are done. And so I, I get it. If you need to go, feel free to go. If you want to hang around and talk, great. Um, um, but... Uh, Man, that's a great question. Um, here's part, of, and, 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 and I will also say, I know there's some other ministers in the room, and so you guys can answer this as well. But I, I will say with that, um, I think one is to be praying for them, mm-hmm. that, that God opens their hearts and all. I think, two, I've been there, like I said, I've been there 16 years. And what that bought me a lot of capital yeah. that I wouldn't have had in my third year, fifth year. Yeah. And so, I mean, part of it also came, like when I spoke to our elders, they knew that I'm, there's no hidden agendas with me. There's, I mean, this is coming from a pure place. I'm not some preacher trying to make a name for myself, whatever. I mean, they knew all of that, and so I had some trust and, and just relational uh, capital with them so that they knew this truly was just my heart. Um, so some of, I mean, and, and honestly, that's part of the reality is sometimes in ministry, sometimes you just got to dig in and stay a while before you can really you know, bring about the change that you want. And, and I will tell you that is true for me. I mean, when I went there, it was completely different. And, uh, and I made up my mind, I'm sticking this out. I, I am going to be part of the solution here. And I'm going to work within the system to change the system. And that takes time. Randy, I don't know if you have anything that you would say to that. or I, I certainly agree with, with the tenure thing. Uh, I think elders want to know their minister. Is yeah. going to be there. They are. Yeah. They're going to be there. Yeah. Yes. And they don't. They don't want you to initiate or encourage them to initiate some change, and then you leave. Mm-hmm. And I understand. You know, God has 
plans for all of us, and certainly God's plans change occasionally. I've just experienced that. Uh, but, 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 I mean, I think they want to know you're going to be there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I love uh, the urgent patience. Yeah. 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 Is, is yeah. a really, really good yeah. thing by Cotter. Yeah. And, and I would also say, kind of like this is an example of that, is I think start with what you have. Mm. Um, again, sometimes it's just, it, we, have the, we have the pieces, but we're just not viewing them in the right way, mm -hmm. um, or we haven't organized them in the right way. So sometimes, rather than making like big changes and things, because I mean, change brings a lot of fear with it. Um, sometimes you can just kind of start with, hey, what are some things that we're already doing? But if we just kind of put this focus to it, mm -hmm. we could be doing it better. So sometimes you can kind of start with some of those types of things. But I will say this too, thank you, sir. Um, I will say this too, is lead by example. Mm -hmm. No eldership can keep you from this being a disciple maker with your friends and neighbors. Yeah. Um, and so I think part of that is just is you leading the way and, and being an example of that you know, to the members. And... Um, Sometimes that can help too, but man, it's a great question, and it's as you can tell, it's kind of complicated yeah. sometimes. So yeah, I I just want to add real quick uh, to that, if I if I may, uh, we had an issue with fifth Sunday singing. Uh, the elders didn't want to take away from the worship; they didn't think it should be replaced, and it took it took five five different tries of being consistent and and and. Just doing it kindly, speaking in love, not getting upset, mm -hmm. um, and and finally, finally it happened, and uh, now the elders want to incorporate potluck into it because <laughs> so many people are there and we're enjoying the fellowship so yeah. much. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as as another young dude to another who's been told no a lot, I would say just keep at it, um, yeah, and do it in love, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and close this. So thank you for, for being here. And uh, just uh, hope that this, this was helpful to you. And uh, if there's anything that I can help you with, um, you know, moving forward, um, love to. So let me pray uh, real quick, and then I'll be dismissed. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, we simply want to be the church you call us to be. And, uh, uh, <coughs> Lord, we just confess that we haven't always been that. And uh, so, Lord, I just pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would create within us, within our churches, within the leaders of our churches, that you would create within us a burden for the lost, that you would help us to be greatly focused and more intentional on the mission that you've given the church. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, within this fellowship that we all deeply, deeply love, I pray for revival. And uh, I pray for resurrection in some places. And, and uh, Lord, I just pray that you would just help us to pursue you in your heart above anything else, especially above our own agendas, our own preferences, our own wills even. And so, Lord, we pray, I pray, for all of the congregations that are represented here in this room. Lord, I pray that you will use those congregations as outposts of your kingdom that are bringing the lost to Jesus and that are making Jesus known in their communities. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Give us the boldness 
to share that hope with others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks everybody. Really Thank appreciate you. it. So. Thank you. Thank you.